Good evening, Lake Church. Man, good to see you guys tonight. Wasn't it a nice day out? Negative 100? Yeah, anything under 100 is a good day, especially if you got to work outside, I guarantee you. All right, so let's get this party started. I'd like to say thank you for all that you're watching online. Glad you're watching with us tonight. It's going to be a great word. Pastor Greg has got an amazing word to bring forth, and so glad you're joining us, and uh, glad everybody else is here. Good to see you tonight. So uh, men's breakfast. How many of you guys are going to men's breakfast this Saturday? All right. Well, make sure you pre-register, please, because I have been cooking way too much bacon. And so I've been sitting, yeah, you know, it's easy to say you can't cook too much bacon, but when I send people home with piles of bacon, I know their wives are like, what are you doing? I hope you're eating it before you get home, because otherwise people are going to be looking at me when your cholesterol is through the roof. So, and I am good enough, I don't take it home, because I know my wife will flat get onto me, so... Um, so we're going to have pancakes and eggs and sausage and bacon and a good time. We have a great speaker that's going to be here this weekend, and I'm not going to tell you who it is because I want you to be surprised, but it is awesome, and he's going to bring a good word, so it'll be good for everybody. So uh, anyway, make sure you pre-register if you would. Um, Fight Club. Yeah, Fight Club. I look forward to Fight Club every year. It's just a manly, manly thing. And I'm into manly things. It's just awesome. So this year we're going to have it out at Lake Camp. So it's going to be interesting. We're going to have some axe throwing and bow shooting and some cornhole toss if you don't want to do any of the other stuff. And uh, just challenge me. I don't mind beating you. It's okay. I know uh, all my kids all show up for every time we have it at the house. And they're like, I'm going to beat you this time, Dad. I'm like, okay. And they don't. So... You know, it's just a dad thing. You know, I don't care if I got to kick him in the kneecaps. You know, it's just one of those things where a dad has to win, right? You know what I'm talking about. There you go. So anyway, it's going to be a great time. We've got a great speaker. And I'm just blanking on names tonight. Pastor Kevin, who's speaking? Ken Spicer. That's right. Out of Arkansas. Yeah, he was here. He spoke a while back and just amazing. So, yeah, it's going to be a good word right there. Don't, don't be laughing at me, okay? It's all right. I haven't had any coffee today or nothing. All right. So, uh, you can save $10 if you register by September 1st. So, make sure you register because this is serious because last year we cooked way too much food once again. And all that money comes out of our men's budget. Now, I don't mind doing it, but we really need you to register so that we know how many men are going to be there. And then also that helps us to be able to make sure we have enough people there for the activities that we're going to be doing. So, and I appreciate everybody that's volunteered to help. It is an amazing, amazing thing because men come from other churches. They come from around. So make sure you're inviting somebody to come with you so that they can experience what we get to experience on a weekly basis. Because a lot of churches don't get what we get. All right. Um, the church bulletin is available on the church center. I hope you guys have all downloaded that app. It is a really cool app. It is so much easier to use than getting online, going to lake-church.com. You just click on it and everything's right there. You can give, you can see what's going on. It's a really cool app. And if any of you guys know me, you know that I'm anti-app, but that is a good app. That is a good app. Literally three buttons and you can do your offering. And I, I have never been an app guy, but I love that app. 
So make sure you guys put that on your phone. Um, there's ways you can give tonight. You can, uh, if you're watching online, you can go to lake-church.com and you can hit the giving button. Or you can download the church app and give it on there. It takes about two minutes to set it up. Not a big deal. You can also do text to give. Um, yeah, there you go. There's a number up there. And then if you're here and you just want to give the old-fashioned way with some cash, there's a bucket at the back back there. Just put it in an envelope, drop it in there, and you're good to go. God keeps track of all of it. He knows what you're giving. Doesn't matter if I know what you're giving. God knows what you're giving. And it's really cool that our God loves us so much that he gives us that opportunity. Because it is. It's an opportunity. You know, every time we get up here and we say, you know, it's time for our giving. It's time to worship with our giving. Wade, man, he just tickles my heart because he just hoops and hollers. Because that is a praise. That is a praise to the Father. It's a praise when he gives you 100%. And he says, here's this money. And all we have to give him is 10%. You give more than 10% when you go to the grocery store. And that's to the world. Imagine what the Father in heaven can do with that 10%. And what he can do in your life just because you were obedient. And then imagine if you give on top of that. I mean, this is late church. There's always somewhere to give. There's always something. The Dominican Republic, you know, there's always somewhere to give. So God just wants to bless you. So anyway, I won't harp on that, but if the Lord puts it on your heart, make sure that you listen. You know, don't give because anybody manipulates you or forces you to do it. You do it because the Lord tells you. All right, so let's pray over that, and uh, we'll get this show underway. Father, I just praise you and I glorify you. I exalt you, Lord, because you are the King of kings and Lord of lords. You are my Father in heaven. Father, it says in the Word that you are our protector that you are our supplier, you are our provider, you are our physician. Father God, you are everything. Anything that I can think of that I need, you are there for us. And Father, I just pray that you bless this offering tonight and that you take it under your heart as praise, as our way of giving praise to you through our monetary uh, value, Lord, that we can give to you out of our pockets and we can just ask you to bless that in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor Greg. Amen. Good evening, Lake Church. Hallelujah. Let's turn in our Bibles to uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2. I mean, uh, Titus chapter 2. I'm sorry. Titus chapter 2. But before we do, while you're getting there, let's just uh, prayerfully go to the Lord and uh, ask His blessing upon our time together. Amen. Father, we just give you praise and we thank you for your goodness, for your mercy, for your grace. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who is here to lead and guide us into all truth, to show us things to come, to unveil the things of Christ to us. We just ask for unction in the Holy Ghost. We ask for truth that makes free in the name of Jesus. Amen. So if you've got uh, your Bibles already, let's go to, and I'm going to have it on the screen here. It says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Are you glad about that? But notice the grace of God trains us. The grace of God isn't just something that we partake of, and it it also trains us. The, The grace of God trains us. And what does it train us? It trains us in renouncing ungodliness, 
Because true grace will cause you to live holy. When you experience true gratitude in the grace of God, it causes your life to be different. Because you're living by that gratitude. Amen? Because there's no possible way you could save yourself. God, by his great mercy and his love towards us, sent Jesus to take our place and to redeem us without anything that we had to do about it. And so that grace causes me uh, to live a life that is uh, in gratitude. So I don't want to live. I want to renounce ungodliness because of the grace of God. Amen? Amen. And worldly passions. <clears throat> and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Waiting for our blessed hope. Notice it says waiting for our blessed hope. I want you to understand that there's a different type of language. We're going to talk about the end times today. We're going to talk about the blessed hope, which is in reference to the rapture of the church. And we're going to see what the Bible says about it. Not what man says about it, but what does the Bible say about it? The blessed hope. Notice it says waiting, not watching. There's a big difference. Now, when Jesus talks to his disciples in the 24th chapter, and, he, and, and you begin to study eschatology throughout the Old Testament, it's always watching. But I'm here to tell you that the church isn't about watching. The church is about waiting. And the reason why there's a difference, because everything has been fulfilled that is up to the rapture of the church. So we're not watching for anything. We're waiting. Amen? Amen? I mean, you can see certain things that are going on that can get you excited. But you're not watching, you're waiting. See, you watch too much, you can get in fear. But if you're waiting, hello, it doesn't matter what's going on around you. You know the bus is coming. You know Jesus has got you. And he's called the blessed hope. So that doesn't sound like a bad thing, does it? That doesn't sound like, you know, the Antichrist showing up and making your, you know, having to go through the tribulation. Come on now. He's waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing. Now he's telling you what that blessed hope is. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. And I say, look no further because that's, that, that's me. Amen? Amen. You know, Jesus did talk about the rapture. He did talk about the blessed hope. And I want you to notice a certain patterns. Because there are people that um, begin to teach about the rapture of the church or that there's no rapture of the church and that we're going to go through the tribulation period and we better get ready and we better get our food and get our bunker and hunker down. But... I, I think that the book, and I'm talking about this book, 
If we were to prepare for the tribulation, the book would tell us to. It tells us to prepare for the age we are in, to prepare our hearts, to prepare our minds. But it doesn't say anything. Well, when the tribulation happens, this is how you prepare. It doesn't have one, one uh, thing that describes what we're to do in that. You want to know why? Because we ain't going to be here. And I know it's going to make some people mad, especially on the other side of that camera. <clears throat> because nobody here would disagree with the Bible. Come on now. But I'm here to tell you, you got all kinds of people saying, oh, well, well I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm excited tonight about this. Okay, I want us to look at where Jesus refers to this, and I want you to see a pattern. Because, you know, God gets a bad rap. It's like... You know, he's duplicitous, like he does one thing one time and does something the next. And he's the very God that says, I'm the Lord, I don't change. So why are we saying that he does something completely different in one economy and, and does something completely different in another when he says, I don't change? So we can see patterns in the Old Testament that point to what God's going to do in the future. He says, I declare the end from the what? The beginning. So God's a God of order. He's not a chaos. He's not into randomness. I mean, God is exact, precise. And the way he does things is precise. And I'm going to show you tonight that he has a timetable for the coming of Christ. He has a timetable. It's outlined in the seven feasts of Israel. And we're going to look at that, okay? So I'm not going to tell you the date or the time that the Lord is coming because I don't know it. But I can tell you, certainly tell you what the season's going to be. Now, Jesus said this. He says, for as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other. Some of us saw that last night. Did you see that last night? <clears throat> so will the Son of Man be in his day. So notice this. He uses an atmospheric phenomenon of lightning and how that lightning will light up the sky from either the east to the west or the west to the east or to the north to the south or the south to the north. But it will fill up the sky. It will start somewhere and then it'll move over. How many have seen that? And that's what Jesus is describing. Now notice he, does not, he doesn't touch the earth. Listen, it doesn't touch the earth. He's not talking about it's going to strike the earth. It says lightning flash. A flash doesn't strike the earth. It's a flash up in the sky. So he's referring to something different than the second coming, which is Jesus phys physically visiting the earth. Because we have to understand when we talk about the second coming of Christ, it's in two parts. And I want to prove that to you. It's in two parts. One, he comes for the church. Secondly, he comes back down with the church and establishes a millennial reign. Amen? Amen? And so that's when it talks about the, the day of the Lord, okay? Now notice what he says here. He says, but first, he must suffer many things and be rejected uh, by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. Now notice this. 
They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage. Now, notice what he uses here. Until. Until the day when Noah entered the ark. Are you getting a picture here? They were marrying, they were eating, they were drinking, they were doing business as usual until the day that Noah and his sons entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. The same pattern. God preaches to generations of people. Sorry about that. Preaches to generations of people for 120 years, Noah does. Builds a giant boat, invites everybody to come on that boat. Nobody wants to come on the boat. Why? Because they're eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day. And then notice this, the flood did not come. The judgment did not land. You, oh, you're not... Listen, that Jesus is teaching here. This isn't me teaching. This is Jesus teaching. He says it was only until they got into the ark that the flood came. So you're looking at a divine pattern. God saves his people before judgment comes. Hello. There are people say, well, we're going to go through the tribulation because God wants to purify the body, you know. Well, you know, Jesus referred to this in the 14th chapter of the Gospel of John. Remember that? He said, uh, don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. We talked about that when we did Tabernacle. He says, I go and prepare a place for you and... If I go and prepare a place for you, I'm going to come back and I'm going to receive you unto myself. He's talking about the rapture of the church. Amen. He's talking about coming back because, see, he's talking about uh, redemption in all three dimensions. So he's not just talking about a physical rapture. He's talking about, first off, I'm going to come and, 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 and make my abode in you. Heaven's going to be inside you. Then heaven's going to be inside your soul because you're going to renew your mind with the word of God. And then one day I'm going to come physically. To, come on now. I'm going to physically take you out of here. Okay. So he says, um, you know, believe in, believe in me. He said, I go and prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be also. Now he was talking Jewish marriage talk. The, the disciples knew exactly what he was talking about. When a Jewish young man would pay the dowry for a young lady, he would go off to his father's house and build a dwelling place for his new bride. And it would take about a year before, and he would come back, and he would take his bride, and he would already have a place for her. That's what he was talking about, okay? Now, let me get this straight. If Jesus is using marriage language here and that we're the bride of Christ, 
then which one of you would like this scenario? Honey, I love you. I want to spend the rest of my life with you. And you know what? We're going to have a good life. But for seven years, I'm going to put you with the meanest, nastiest man that has ever walked planet Earth. It doesn't make sense. Now, another thing that the Lord told me, okay? He said this to me as I was meditating and praying about this. He said this. He said, the Christ's body was subjected to the wrath of God so that the body of Christ would be delivered from the wrath of God. Do you, do you see the double entendre there? Do you see the, the double application? Why would God the Father, who identifies you as a part of the body of Christ, why would he again subject the body of his son to his wrath when he already did that on Calvary's cross? Hello? It, it doesn't go with the character and nature of God. Amen? Okay, all right. Likewise, so he's giving you another illustration. And again, see, we were looking for patterns. Just as it was in the days of Lot. Even Henri Lot. Noah was at least perfect in the eyes of God. Lot was not. Lot was a mess. He said, likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, and that should give you great hope. Amen. <laughs> yeah. You ain't going to miss this because you're not perfect. Hello? <laughs> Amen? Because Lot, he's not perfect. He says, likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and they were drinking and they were buying and they were selling. They were planting and building, so they thought they had a future. Okay. But on the day when Lot went out. Oh, are you, are you awake out there? This is good stuff. The day that Lot went out from Sodom, and Sodom's a type of the world, the day Lot, Abraham's nephew, that was Henri, hello, that wanted to give up his own daughters, this wasn't a perfect man, but yet God loved him enough to get him out of there. And notice this. Fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So in each of these cases, which Jesus himself teaches about, the righteous are those that are the believing ones. They are escorted out of harm's way before the judgment of God. See, we're not experiencing the wrath of God in the world today. Did you know that? You're experiencing the wrath of man and the wrath of the devil. That's what you're experiencing. The wrath of God has been relegated to a seven-year period in which God will deal 
not with people he has rejected, but with people that have rejected him. Make no mistake, there are no innocent people in hell. Absolutely none, okay? There's going to be, and, and, and you know what? There's not anybody in hell that won't tell you that they deserve to be there. Because when you get out of the fog of this world and you see life as it clearly is and you begin to go in because it's appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment, when you get that judgment, you'll know why you're in hell. God has graciously given us his son and we need to take a hold of it in the name of Jesus. Amen. And so we're going to talk about the blessed hope. But we have a pattern here from this scripture. We've got a pattern that shows us, and I'm saying this over and over and over again because people forget this, that God extracts his people before the judgment comes. Amen? If you want to go back to the days of Enoch and Enoch's translation. Remember the Bible translated, God translated Enoch out of this life. He's a type of being translated out before the flood even happened. Amen? So there's, there's typology here. There's a, there's a pattern here when it comes to the rapture of the church. So if God did that for Old Testament saints, then we who have a new and better covenant established upon better promises. Do you think we just get barely by and not? No, it'll go, it'll exceed and surpass that. Because both of them had to go through seeing that. We're not going to have to go through and see that. Come on now. All right, so let's look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. <clears throat> 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and we're going to talk about what is the rapture? And uh, when is the rapture going to happen? Now, I'm not going to give you dates, so don't get all weirded out on me because I don't have the dates. But I can tell you from God's calendar around the time it will happen. Okay? Because God works on his timetable. Amen? Amen? It says, but we do not want you to be uninformed. Uh, King James says, we don't want you to be ignorant. I like that a lot better because there's a lot of ignorance when it comes to this subject. Amen? He says, I don't want you to be ignorant. I don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. Now, when he uses the phrase asleep here, he is not talking about uh, people that are uh, having soul sleep. People say, well, when you die, you just go to sleep. It's soul sleep. That's not what he's talking about. Jesus has taken the sting out of death for believers. So the, 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 the term sleep is used about the state of the human body without the spirit and soul. Because you are not asleep, you're in, you're in the presence of the Lord. But your body is in a, uh, a state of stasis, 
okay, repose, and it is sleep. And the reason why it isn't ravaged death, they don't use the word death or dying, is because the sting's been taken out of it. Now, we don't believe that. I can tell by your reaction. The sting has been taken out of death, friends. If you see a believer die and an unbeliever die, you know one's got a stinger and the other does not. I've seen it. It's not pretty. But Jesus has taken the, the sting out of death. Amen? And so that's what they would equate Christians when they would perish or die. Their physical bodies, they're asleep. Okay? That you may not be grieve, but that you may not grieve as others who do not have no hope. Now, there's people that have lost people um, over the last year and over the last couple of years. I'm here to tell you, you're not to grieve as those that do not have no hope. Amen. Amen. Mom and dad, grandma and grandpa, whoever that was, husband, wife, whatever, if they were a believer, they are in the presence of God. They are enjoying life as it's supposed to be lived, and we just need to rejoice and look forward because we don't have no hope. We have hope. And hope isn't wishing. Hope is a confident favorable expectation. I will see them again. We will rejoice in God together. Amen? Then he goes on and says, For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, notice that phrase, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. So that means Jesus is going to bring daddy back. Jesus is going to bring grandma back. And they're not going to look like old grandma. They're going to look good. Hello. They're going to be glorified. Hallelujah. We, we, don't, we don't stir ourselves up like that, like we need to. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I'm telling you what, this old earth suit, it can get ugly. It can get ugly. It can get nasty and it can get gnarly. But thank God, Jesus has purchased for us a glorified body. Amen? Amen? Your best days are ahead. They're not. Come on. All right. We need to stir ourselves up. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord. Very important to understand this. He's saying this is a word from the Lord. But the Old Testament doesn't necessarily teach this concept. Doesn't necessarily teach it. I mean, it teaches it by typology, but doesn't come out and talk about. Now, were there raptures in the Old Testament? Sure there were. Enoch was raptured. We mentioned him. We mentioned Elijah. Elijah was raptured. And you know who also was raptured? The man who wrote this scripture, the Apostle Paul, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He said he was caught up, and that's the same word for rapture. He was caught up and taken to the third heaven, and he saw things that were not lawful to be uttered. In fact, I surmise, and most 
biblical expositors will tell you that this is where he got the rapture doctrine. He got the catching away doctrine from being caught up himself and he received it as a word from God. You don't understand. People don't understand that the apostle Paul did not have full public ministry until 15 years. See, people are always waiting and running and trying to get in and trying to make something happen. Apostle Paul didn't. He stayed in the region of Arabia and just learned. He said, I didn't learn the gospel from any man. I didn't learn from Cephas. I didn't learn from James. He said, I was taught personally by the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And so his uh, Sinai experience, his, his uh, desert experience patterns Moses' desert experience. So you've got Moses who received divine revelation. You've got the apostle Paul receiving divine revelation of the gospel of righteousness, the gospel of God. And I believe that he received this because he says, I have declared this to you by a word. A word from the Lord that we who are alive... If we're alive today and God brings the dead or raises the dead, then guess what? Who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Guess what? The dead are going to be the first that are going to receive that resurrection life. And it says, for the Lord himself. He's not sending an angel. It doesn't even say the Lord will. Notice the language. It says, the Lord himself. Will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ, those that have fallen asleep, will rise first. Did you know this already happened in the Gospels? Do you remember Jesus at Lazarus' tomb? He had a cry of command there. And guess what? Lazarus came down. He had been dead four days. How about when they arrested him in the Garden of Gethsemane? And uh, he says, who are you looking for? And they said, we're looking for Jesus. They're just looking for a man. We're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, I am. They fall down. And guess what happens? Because that region on the Mount of Olives also had graves, there was a young man that died and he was raised from the dead. That's the man that you see in the Gospel of John that was wearing the, he was naked. He ran naked because they buried him just in a sheet. And here, there's, you know, he, 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 he coordinated it towards Lazarus' tomb. He, it's like he took all that power and he put it right in Lazarus' tomb and he, coordinated it to where it affected those soldiers and affected that young man. But this is going to be unbridled. Let, let, me, let, me, let me get this. This is going to be total 
Resurrection Life Wi-Fi. That is going to hit planet Earth and is going to cause the dead to rise again. And in fact, if you look at um, Roman records, in Jesus' first resurrection, we, we hear about in Matthew that several rose from their graves and visited family members. People saw them. And in fact, if you go back to Roman records, they actually have police reports in which that is validated. Romans took meticulous records. They wrote about everything. And they wrote about Jesus as a historical figure and also as what they would refer to as a shaman. That's what they refer to him. That's the reason why they sent so many soldiers to arrest him because they were convinced of his power. He wasn't just some over here in the corner of the world, nobody. This was, he was vitally important. He was a controversial figure. Okay? I mean, kings wanted to know, wanted to see him, wanted to have an audience with him, wanted to meet him. Amen? Okay. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together. Okay? Right there. Caught up together. Very important that we understand that word. It's the Greek word harpazo. Now, there are people that say the rapture is a false doctrine because the word rapture isn't in the Bible. The word Bible is not in the Bible. The word Trinity is not in the Bible. But yet we can see clearly, theologically, by exegeting Scripture, we can see these concepts. And the whole reason why the word or the term rapture is used is because of St. Jerome. St. Jerome was the first to translate the Greek trans manuscripts into the Latin Vulgate. And the Latin Vulgate took the Greek scriptures and translated them into Latin. And when he came to this phrase, caught up together... He used the word rapur, where we get the word rapture. And it means to be caught up, to be carried away, to be lifted out, to be snatched up, to be seized and taken. He used that word to translate from Greek harpazo to that word, and that's why we have the word rapture. But really, we could call it the catching away. Yes. Really, we could call it being caught up. That's what rapture is. If you read romance novels, I was caught up in his eyes. That's, that's <laughs> you, see <what> I'm, <laughs> you see what I'm saying? That's, that's what we typically use the word rapture for. Nobody's eyes in here, but, uh, <clears throat> okay. So we'll be caught up together with them. Who? 
those that have went on, those that have fallen asleep in Jesus, those who are the dead in Christ. Now, Jesus prefigured this. Did you know that? How do you remember the Mount of Transfiguration? Okay, Jesus brings up Peter, James, and John, and they climb up on the mount that the watchers came down several, several thousand years before. Pan's Grotto. You know, it's, 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 uh, it's the mountain that's probably the most con controversial mountain that there is. It's a, it's a place where uh, Nimrod had a fortress. And Jesus takes them up on this mountain. And it says that he changed. He became glorified right before their eyes. And it said Moses and Elijah appeared on either side. And they were discussing things. Discussing his passion. Discussing stuff. And so here you have a picture. You have a glorified Jesus. And you see Moses, who represents the dead in Christ, because Moses died physically. And then you have Elijah, who was raptured and carried up in a chariot of fire. So you have the dead in Christ, and you have the raptured saints, right on the right and on the left. And that's a picture of what the rapture is going to look like. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Are you getting anything out of this? Yeah. Amen. We got a lot more to cover. We'll be here till midnight. All right. <laughs> Therefore, encourage one another with these words. When's the last time you got encouraged with these words? There's some churches won't even preach on prophecy, won't even preach on this. They're afraid to take the hits. Hello? Well, I don't believe in that rapture. It's escapist theology. Duh. <laughs> Let me show you a scripture that will prove that to you, all right? Let's look at Matthew, uh, Luke 21. Luke 21. I don't have it on my... You're just trying to make it where people can escape the Antichrist and escape all that stuff. You're just teaching about weak Christians and people that, listen, you can't even handle bills coming to your house. You think you're going to be able to handle that? You can't even handle the doctor's report that's contrary to the word of God. Well, you're just trying to preach escapism, brother. Well, let's see what Jesus preached. See, I like red letter. Yep. That removes all doubt, doesn't it? When Jesus talks. Now, in verse number 34, he's talking about the end times in Luke 21. In fact, it's a companion scripture to Matthew 24, which we'll look at as well. But notice it says this. He talks about the end times. He talks about the things that are going on in the end times. And we'll go on. Earthquakes and famines. Things we're going through right now. We're beginning to see uh, the birth pangs of. We're beginning to see in our world. But he says this. He's talking to the church, and he turns to him. He says, but watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipa uh, dissipation and drunkenness. That means that you're distracted 
And that means that you are inebriated with things that are keeping you from seeing what truly is. Okay? And the church is, you know, we're guilty of that. We're guilty of getting our focus off of this thing. And he says this, and the cares of this life, and that day uh, come upon you suddenly like a trap, okay? For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But, notice this, I like big buts, amen? Buts in the Bible, all right? But, stay awake in all times, praying that you may have strength to escape. Oh, who said that? Jesus said that. Not Greg. To escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Listen to that. Jesus wants you with him. He doesn't want you down here when large hailstones come down here and the judgment of God. The judgment of God is not coming upon righteous people. The judgment of God is coming against God haters, God revilers, God rejecters. Now, does that mean that people won't get saved in the tribulation? Literally millions will. Literally millions. In fact, you're going to have loved ones that thought you were crazy and nuts for believing this stuff and going down to that church. And you're telling them about the rapture. You're telling them Jesus could come and they roll their eyes at you and laugh at you and call you a fanatic. I'm telling you, when that day happens, they're going to get down on their knees and they're going to call on the name of the Lord. And there's going to be literally millions of people that will call upon the name of the Lord once the rapture happens in this life. And I'm telling you, there'll be churches that will be open with repentant preachers that mocked the rapture of the church, that mocked what preachers said about the authority of scripture and what Jesus said, and they'll repent and they'll lead revival. Come on now. And then we know there's going to be 144,000 Jewish young men that are going to be anointed by God and go all over the world. You're going to have the two witnesses that are going to stand and begin to speak against the Antichrist, speak against the world system, and it's going to be so, so powerful that they're able to call down fire from heaven. And you're going to have angels flying around and they're going to preach the gospel. So God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And he will continue to redeem people till all that want him. Amen. But Jesus wants you to escape. Then why would he use this language? Amen. It's true anyhow. Behold, I tell you a mystery. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says, behold, I tell, I tell you a mystery. Did we go all the way through there? Let me see here. 
Yeah, we did. Okay. We're going to see the companion scripture here in uh, 1 Corinthians 15. It says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. So when we look up the word mystery there, it means that something that has not previously been revealed. Remember Jesus in the 13th, 14th, 15th, 16th, and 17th chapters of the Gospel of John. He began to teach things that had never been taught before. And he said this at the end of it. He said, you take those chapters and you start delving in those. There's some of the deepest stuff you'll ever see. Some of the deepest concepts you'll ever see. The Trinity's in there. The rapture's in there. All these different things, the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit is all in there. The new creation, life that we're to live is all listed in there. The authority given to us as believers is in there. It's all in there. But he had, right after he said all that, because you could live on that your entire life. You could live on those five chapters your entire life. You could study those and still not mine everything out of them. But yet he said, I have many things yet still to teach you, but you're not ready for it. So he moves on the apostles. He moves on the apostle Paul, especially in regards to these things. Because if we didn't have the apostle Paul, we, would, we wouldn't know half of stuff. Come on now, that we know today. Okay, He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, and he did it by divine revelation. Okay, So he says this, Behold, I'm, I'm telling you a mystery, something that's not previously revealed, not hidden from you, hidden for you. Yes. Amen? Well, I, I don't think we got it here. Let me see. Let, let me turn over here in the Bible here because I don't, I don't see it on my list here. Incomplete data. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter, I believe chapter 15. All right. Listen to this. Okay, it says, I tell you uh, this, brothers, flesh and blood, I'm going to start with 50-50, cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. He said, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. So that's, again, that's a phrase that in reference to dying in the Lord, okay? We shall not all die in the Lord. We shall not all die in the Lord. There are people in here that shall not die in the Lord. There are people in this generation right now that will not see death. There's people in this room that will not see death. Okay? He says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Notice the changes happens in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. The word moment is the Greek word atomos, and it means one twelfth of a second. Bam. 
By the time I say 1,001, 1,000, it's already done. So that means this, guys. There's no time to go to the church. There's no time to pray. There's no time to ask your uncle to help you out. There's no time. It's like that. It's gone. See, the, the reason why the devil attacks the rapture of the church, it's attacked. There's two things that are attacked by the enemy. It's tongues, and it's the rapture of the church because both of them have a serious effect on your life. Okay, all right? Uh, baptism of the Holy Spirit transforms your life, makes you, praise God, operate in power that you didn't know you had. It's, it's awesome. It unleashes your prayer life. It unleashes things in your life. Okay? The reason why you have problems with it and the reason why you think it's of the devil is because the devil told you it was of the devil. Because <laughs> the devil doesn't want you having power. The devil wants you to be a weak, milk toast believer that he can push around. Okay? And the second thing that he um, wants you to be confused about, because there are two things that Paul says I don't want you ignorant about. He said, I don't want you ignorant about the catching away, and I don't want you to be ignorant about spiritual gifts. He tells you those two things. I don't want you to be, you can't afford to be ignorant on these two things. Why? First off, when it comes to the Holy Spirit, that's, that's where your strength is. That's where your ability comes from. Amen? But... The second car, the, the rapture of the church is about the imminent return of Jesus, which when I believe it and embrace it, Harrison, means that I'm going to live a life because he may appear any moment. Now, that, wouldn't that change the way you walk in holiness if you knew the Lord's just going to, you're going to hear that all of a sudden, you're on the computer surfing some places you want and you hear that trumpet? See, the, Lord, the, the enemy, he, you know, casinos are patterned after the kingdom of darkness. Did you know that? They don't have any clocks and they don't have any windows. And when we don't believe in the imminent return of Jesus, we have no clock and we have no window. So we just keep playing the game. I, think, I, didn't, I didn't know what time it was. I was just having fun. That's exactly the reason. Isn't that what Jesus said? We just read it. Don't be dis, uh, you know, uh, distracted. Don't be in drunkenness. Okay, all right. We shall all be changed in an atomic second. No time to repent, no time to pray, no time to anything. You're just, bam. Hello. That means grandma, your prayer partner, hopefully all of your church that you attend, hopefully. Oh, there'll be people showing up. Are we having service? <laughs> I'm serious. I'm, I'm serious. Hello. 
That means all the people that you relied on to help you, limp you through without you really making a commitment to Jesus. You're just going to limp through. You use Sister Mabel's prayers and, and Uncle Bob's intercession. And, you, you know, if you have a question, then you always know Kevin's there to answer that question. But you make no decision for Jesus at all. You make no commitment. And they're all gone. Hello. They're changed <clears throat> in a moment, in a twinkling of the eyes, the last trumpet. Now, that's very important that we understand that. Notice both of these passages in First uh, Thessalonians and in this passage talk about a trumpet. Okay? Now, well, we're, I'm getting ahead of myself, but I'm going to do it anyway. All right? God's timetable, according to Genesis chapter 1, he talks about the moon and the sun, and he says, let them be for times and seasons. So the whole cosmos that we look around us, the so-called Milky Way and the galaxies that spin around, they all spin around. Did you know that? They all move around. And that's God's clock. That's God's clock. That is an encapsule of time. God works within that framework of time. And that's the reason why you see blood moons and harvest moons and things of that nature. These are all signs. And so he begins to use these for appointed times is what the actual uh, Hebrew says. Appointed times. It actually should be translated appointed feasts. Okay? So... He puts down, he says, I declare the end from the beginning. So he basically, in everything that God does, he preaches his redemptive plan. And he's kind of like Larry Bird. How many remember Larry Bird back in the day? Larry Bird would tell you how he is going to score on you. And, the, and God is so sovereign and so big and so bad and so wonderful and so powerful that he just goes ahead and tells the devil, this is how I'm going to do it. And you're not going to stop me. You can try all you want. You're not going to stop me. This is how I'm going to do it. I mean, he had, the serpent was right there and he goes, the seed of the woman. He told him. He didn't say, well, I got to come up with some secret plan to keep it from the devil so he don't figure it out. He says, no, the seed of the woman. Yeah. You're going to bruise his heel, but he's going to crush your head. Come on. See, he tell, told him. <laughs> and everything he does, he tells what he's going to do. Larry Bird would say, you know what, I'm going to twirl around you. I'm going to take this pick and I'm going to go around here and I'm going to score on you and you ain't going to be able to stop it. And he would do it. He didn't even play with the left hand. He was right-handed, but he didn't even just score left hand, so he challenged himself. Hello. I'm telling you, our God's way better than Larry Bird. Amen? Okay. So God appoints seven feasts. Seven is the number of completion. So that means the totality of redemption is found in those seven feasts. Okay, we have fall feasts and then we have spring feasts. Now, the beginning of the year 
is always spring feast. It's always around, uh, isn't it? No, it, the beginning of the year is in the fall. Yeah, okay. I'm not Jewish, okay? So, <laughs> but uh, understand this, that the first feast is the feast of Passover, okay? The feast of Passover, Jesus fulfilled because he is the Passover lamb. Amen? Then, concurrently, with the Feast of Passover, you have the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And that's where they would take all the leaven out of their houses, all of the various things, you know, because leaven was a type of sin. So it shows you that while Jesus is in the ground for three days and three nights, he extracts, oh, this is so good, he extracts all of the sin. Oh, come on now. He, he extracts all of the sin. See, his sacrifice extracted all the sin and depravity. Amen. He paid the price for it all. Okay. Then 50 days after that, you have what is known as the Feast of Pentecost. And we celebrated that in June. Okay. And that is when the Holy Spirit came down and inhabited me. The Feast of Pentecost was the giving of the Torah. And it was the upper room in Acts chapter 2. Amen? All those feasts are fulfilled. Well, the Feast of First Fruits as well. Okay, I'm trying to remember these. Feast of First Fruits. What's the Feast of First Fruits? Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. Okay? So you've got <clears throat> number one, Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, and then Pentecost. All Four of those feasts have been totally and absolutely fulfilled. And that's the reason why we're not watching anymore. We're waiting. Are you with me? We're not watching for signs. We're waiting for the Lord from heaven. Because guess what the next feast is? Trumpets. Amen. Trumpets. Rosh Hashanah. Okay. Trumpets. And we here we have the last trump. Here we have the sound of a trump. If Jesus followed the pattern of the first four feasts. And the Lord changes not. Then the rapture of the church, I can pretty much, if I'm wrong, I'll say I'm wrong in heaven. But I can pretty much tell you that if that was explicitly fulfilled, those four on God's timetable, trumpets which comes in the month of September... It's the season in which the rapture of the church will happen. Because that is the beginning of the fall feast. Okay? You got it? Okay. All right. So, then after that, you've got the Day of Atonement, 
which is basically the tribulation. Okay? And then you have the Feast of Tabernacles, which is God dwelling with man. So you've got basically the, the millennial and the new heaven and the new earth. So each of these point to appointed times that God has established in his calendar. Now, are you excited that maybe this September you might hear that trumpet? I am. I get excited every September. I, I was married in September, so I always get excited. But you know what? We may not be able to go on a trip in September. We might take the, the trip. Amen. Amen. September, October, you know, it's in, it, it varies. Okay. All right. So. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised, imperishable, and we will be changed. Amen? For this perishable. How many realize you've got perishable stuff on you? Hello? Is it getting any better? Is it rejuvenating, you know, without using expensive creams and lotions? Hello? It's perishing. But when we're changed, the perishing takes on the ability to be imperishable. That means you're not going to wrinkle or age or, oh, hallelujah. Amen? Gravity will no longer have a hold on your fat. Amen? Hallelujah. We're going to have Brad, I'm going to have a Brad Pitt Troy body. <laughs> what a change. It says, for this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. Jesus walked around with the resurrected body after his resurrection. He was able to walk through walls. He still ate. Did you know he ate? He ate fish. He ate fish. He ate bread. He's able to have all of the enmities of being in the, in the flesh, but yet it was glorified flesh. And that's what you're going to get. I said that which, that's what you're going to get. Amen? Hallelujah. Amen. Got time for a little bit more? Are we okay? All right. Let me, let me see here if I can find what I need. Let's go to 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Now, he writes the first letter to Thessalonians. And in between the time, the church ran into people that said, we're in the tribulation already. Jesus has already come. You want to know why? Because the Caesars in Rome were persecuting the church. Amen. So they thought, man, you know, the, the, we're in the tribulation. We've been forgotten. There's still people that think that today. We've been left to these horrible people that want to persecute us and, and kill us. And so the Apostle Paul had to address this. 
He said, now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, now notice that, and our being gathered together to him, notice there's two. Those are the two components of what is known as the second coming of Jesus. The first one is the coming, parousia in the Greek. Parousia in the Greek means to have a permanent position or place. So it's not in the air. It's where he comes down and he establishes kingdom. That's parousia in the Greek. But then he talks about our gathering together to him. Now, I want you to look at another passage of Scripture that kind of shows this. This is found, I believe, in 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy. Now, we use this when we uh, ordain elders and we ordain ministers of the gospel. We use this Scripture. But notice how the Apostle Paul phrases this, okay? Notice he says this, I charge you in the presence of God, verse 1, and of Christ Jesus, who is, the ju who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing. Now, what is the appearing? That's what Titus says is the blessed hope. The blessed hope is not the second coming of Christ, establishing his kingdom. The blessed hope is his appearing in the clouds. So notice this. He says, by his appearing and his kingdom. Two different things. Our being gathered together, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him. Two things. The rapture is being gathered to him and the coming of the Lord is the establishment of his kingdom. And the Apostle Paul uses his language throughout the New Testament in regards to the collective second advent of Jesus. Amen? Okay? He goes on and says, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Because that was the problem. They thought the day of the Lord had come, that they had missed the gathering and they were in the tribulation. Okay? Apostle Paul says, no. He says, let no one deceive you in any way. Amen. For that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. Now, I hate this translation because it's not accurate. Yeah. And I'm going to tell you that you need to have different translations of the Bible and study the original language. Because translated, translated Bibles are not always accurate. Okay? Let me tell you something about this word rebellion here. This word rebellion is the word apostasia in the Greek. Okay? Apostasia is a made up word, it's a transliterated word. The word means departure. And in fact, it puts 
the in front of it, the definite article. It's not talking about a departure. It's talking about the departure. What departure? The departure that I told you about before, because he says that many times. He says, what, don't you know I've told you this stuff before? And he says, listen, this day is not going to come. This tribulation is not going to come until there is a, the departure. Now, oh my goodness gracious. You want to know what happened there? Why they changed it to rebellion? Oh gosh. The Catholic church was upset over the reformation. They used it unless the revolt, and they're referencing the, the Wittenberg, you know, uh, Martin Luther and his 99 thesis on the Wittenberg church door that says the just shall live by faith. They were basically using that. Listen, men mess with stuff. And the enemy does not want you to know that there is even a rapture because he wants you to keep on living large. See, we're not watching because if we could watch, we could say, you know, he's coming. We better, you know, we better get out of debt and get, you know, get, get, or we better get some things done or we better. No, we're not watching anymore. We're waiting. Because okay? if you're watching, you can say, well, maybe I can do this for a little more. Maybe I can, you know, continue to live this way just a little bit longer. Let's squeeze every last drop out of this lustful desire that I have because I can see him coming down the road, but he's not here yet. No, imminent return in an atomic. See, that should make you live a more holy life. That's the whole purpose of it, and that's why the devil doesn't want you to know about it. Okay? Now, let me, I got some notes in my Bible on this passage here. You got one, a couple more minutes? Okay, now listen. In the Latin Vulgate, it's the departure. In the oldest Bible translations that we know today, it's translated departure. Every single one of them. Let me give you a list. See if you can write them down real fast. Okay. So it's translated the departure in the Latin Vulgate, in the Wycliffe translation, in the Tyndale translation, in the Coverdale translation. In the Geneva Bible, it is translated the departure. In the Great Bible, it is translated departure. In the Septuagint, this word that is a Greek word, in the Septuagint, which is the Old Testament in Greek, uses this same word because it's using the Greek language, and it means departing. And in fact, if you've got an older amplified Bible, 
and you look at the footnote that is on this scripture, it will tell you, could be translated, the departure of the church. Okay? All right. Okay, you're looking at me kind of strange, but it's the truth. I'm not, I'm not leading you astray. Look it up in the original language. Okay, so notice this. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the departure. Not some global backsliding. That's already happening, friend. I mean, that's, that's been going on for a long time. Okay, so there's not going to be that. Because if we study Revelation and we study the first three chapters of Revelation, we know that there's going to be an Ephesus church, there's going to be a Thyatira church, and there's going to be a Laodicean church. But that doesn't mean that all churches are going to be Laodicean, because I certainly don't belong to a Laodicean church. Is there apostasy? You know, because no one wants to be called an apostate. But this is used throughout the New and Old Testament for the word to depart. So the King James translators didn't know what to do with it, so they just called it falling away. But it's the same word that's used, what the Apostle Paul said in the first epistle, it could basically be characterized with a catching away. Because if there's a departure, now listen. What did the Apostle Paul tell us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5? It says, you are ambassadors of Christ. Did you know the first thing that's done after the declaration of war or the taking over of a territory is they empty the embassy. So the rapture is God emptying his, his earthly embassy so that he can begin to exact. Come on now. Okay, all right. Now notice this. Unless the departure comes first, and notice what happens after the departure happens. The man of lawlessness is revealed. The son of perdition. Listen, the reason why we're not seeing clearly, we know there's some spirit of antichrist in our government and in our world system. We know that, but we can't clearly say, okay, that's... And he can't reveal himself. Until we're out of the way. Are you with me? It says, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Now, the apostle Paul goes back to the book of Daniel. He goes back to the Old Testament. The church is made up of both Jews and Gentiles. We are the body of Christ, and God is not going to subject the body of his son to his wrath a second time. He did it once and for all, and he's going to lift us up. Doesn't mean we're not going to be persecuted right now. In this present time, we may suffer the wrath of man. We may suffer the wrath of the devil, but we will not suffer the wrath of God. God. 
Amen. Amen. Hello. First Thessalonians chapter 5. Listen to this. Verse 8. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath. That's right there. Has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Amen. Amen. That's good stuff right there. Let's look over here. Let's look at uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Notice it says right here in verse 9, For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait. Notice that. We're waiting. We're not watching. We're waiting. We're not watching. We're waiting. The Jews are watching. Those that have not received Christ that are Jewish, they're watching. They're looking for signs. See, those blood moons weren't for the church. Come on now. We're waiting. Okay, notice it says, And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. He had the nerve to use the word wrath. He's delivering us from the wrath. Jesus says, make sure you're not drunk. Make sure you're not in. Keep praying, keep singing, so that you might escape. Mm. What did Jesus say? He said they were eating and drinking, giving in marriage, doing business as usual until. What was the sign everything was going to change? When the redeemed of God walk into the ark of God, when the redeemed of God translate out of this world, when the redeemed of God get pulled out of Sodom. He says, and then the flood came. And then. Fire and brimstone fell. And then judgment hit. Mm. Glory to God. Well, let's stand up and give God praise. Have you, are you encouraged? See, you shouldn't be afraid. You shouldn't be afraid. You don't need to be afraid. You don't need to be afraid of what CNN says, what Fox News says. You don't need to be afraid of any of it. They start talking about famine and stuff like that. You don't need to be quaking in your shoes. You've got a God that is bigger than any problem that could ever face your life. Amen. You should encourage one another with these words. See, I think we'd be a whole lot happier if we would talk to one another and say, you know what? Grandma's coming. 
Grandpa's coming. Daddy's coming. I'm going to see, I'm going to see mama again. Hello. We're going to have a great reunion in the sky. We're going to be with the Lord. We're going to be with him. He's going to come and get us. I remember I was listening to Jesse Duplantis one time, and he was talking about his experience when he went to heaven. And um, he, he was at the throne room of God. He, it was the throne room. The presence was so, so tangible and so powerful, he couldn't even stand. I mean, he, he, he didn't have the strength to be able to even stand there. And he said that he saw a throne, but he couldn't see. It looked like a man sitting on the throne, but he couldn't see the face because you can't look on God's face to live. So he sees Jesus come out from the Father. He, all these people are gathered around, and it seems like there's been uh, a, a, a gathering, you know, because, you know, there, there's things to do in heaven, guys. There's things to do, you know. So they, they're all gathering in there, and Jesus comes up there, and he, and he said, man, he said, I thought Jesus was a teacher. He said, Jesus just preached the house down. And you know what he was preaching? This is what he was saying. And let this encourage your heart. He says, I'm going to go get them. I'm going to go get them. I'm going to go get them. I'm going to get every last one of them, and I'm going to bring them home, and you're going to be with them. And every... What is wrong with you? He said, I'm going to come down. I'm going to split the sky, and I'm going to shout the shout, and they're going to come up, and they're going to come. Come on now. You've got to encourage yourself with this stuff. The reason why you're so depressed in your life is because you're not talking about the things of God. You're not talking about these things. Oh, well, if I start talking about that, they think I'm crazy. I don't care. I'd rather be happy and crazy. You just picture... That father, you picture that mother, you picture that grandmother, you picture that grandfather, you picture that son, you picture that daughter, you picture their face when you see them resurrected and alive like they've never been before. When you begin to realize that you have a glorified body that will never experience sickness and disease, that'll never experience any kind of weakness whatsoever. When you realize that the life of God is so on you and through you that there is absolutely no death whatsoever. And when we go over to that other side, we will never lose those people again. We will never lose them again. Hello. I remember a minister, he had a dream and a vision. He knew his dad was dying. And his dad's body had been ravaged by, you know, various things. And he was, you know, crippled up and everything. And he, and he had a vision in which he took his father. He escorted his father. And, you know, when you're at that hospital bed, when you're right by that loved one, you're helping escort them. You're helping escort them to that place, to that place of glory. I remember there was an old man up here at the nursing home. And they said, you need to come and pray for him. He's about to go to glory. And I'm telling you. He began to look at me with fire in his eyes, the eyes of a 33-year-old in an 80-year-old body. And there was fire and lightning coming out of his eyes. And he said, I'm going to the glory world. I'm going to the glory world. I'm going to the glory world. And he went on. 
helped escort. He said he escorted his dad and these real well-dressed, he, he, he surmised that they were angels. They were just well-dressed people. I mean, in, in clothes that fit right, you know, not like here on earth, clothes that fit right. You know, they looked good. They looked in style and they said, thank you, sir. Uh, we'll take him from here. And he sees his dad walking down this long hallway to this corridor of doors and look like banquet doors. Look like, you know, like a hotel. You'd, you have these big, huge banquet rooms and banquet doors. And uh, this made me choke up. But he, he saw his dad. You know, he's walking all feeble. But he got halfway down there. And all of a sudden, the power of God shot through him. And jet black hair came out. Oh, my gosh. Jet black hair. His body straightened up. He was totally strong and virile. And he walked to that place, opened that door, and he heard a big, enormous group of people say, Surprise! That's what you've got to look forward to. That's why we shouldn't be afraid of death. That's the reason why we shouldn't be afraid to pass over. Hallelujah. Glory to God. I sense the presence of the Lord here. The presence of the Lord is here. Glory to God. Praise God. He's there. He's there. He's there. And it's going to be a big surprise. It's going to be surprise. Surprise. I've been here all along doing good. Going to show you around. You know, you, get, you, you got people like uh, Noah. They lived right. You know, they, they followed the Lord. But then you got the lots up there. You're going to look at them and say, I don't know how you made it. <laughs> but I'm sure glad you're here. Amen. I'm sure glad you're here. Yes. I'm sure glad you're here. Yes. We weren't on good terms on planet Earth, but I'm glad you're here. Amen. We didn't fellowship like we should on planet Earth. I'm glad you're here, though. Amen. I'm glad I can make up. I'm glad that I have another. Sh Come on now. Amen. I didn't get to talk to my dad. I didn't get to talk to my dad or my mom like I wanted to. Well, one day I'm going to be able to sit down. I'm going to have the deepest conversations I could ever have with them. Why? Because Jesus afforded that for me. Jesus made that available for me. I'm going to look at my pastor, David Emi. I'm going to hug him. I'm going to say, I love you. I didn't say that a lot here. I didn't say that a lot. In fact, we were at odds many times. But you know what? When I get up there, I'm going to take him. I'm going to give him a big old bear hug, and I'm going to say, I love you. I'm going to see my father-in-law, and I'm going to hug him. I'm going to say, I love you. Your best days are ahead. I don't care what you're going through. There's nothing. When you get your eyes on heaven, when you get your eyes on that, that's, that's the problem. We're not putting our eyes on heaven enough. 
We're looking down here. We're looking down here, and we're limiting our lives to what's down here. You are citizens of heaven right now. There are people that took their own lives that are there in heaven. You're going to see them. There's people that left you and turned their back on you and forsook you, but they're going to be there. Because it ain't about what you do. It's about who you believe in, who you embrace, who's yours. There's going to be a whole lot of people that you're going to be surprised are there, and there's going to be a whole lot of people you're surprised are not there. But I'm here to tell you, your best days are ahead. I said your best days are ahead. I tell you what, the Lord, the anointing's right here. Hello. I remember the tale of an older gentleman that uh, he had a heart attack. And uh, he used to be a runner. And he said, man, I found myself in the most beautiful field I'd ever seen in my, and there was a city way off in the distance. He said, I just started taking off running. And he said, man, I can run again. You know, he hadn't run several years because of his age. He said, man, I can run again. Man, this is awesome. And then he just really picked up some speed. And he thought, man, I can really run in here. And he said he began to run in speeds he had never ran on earth. And then all of a sudden he felt a jolt and he's back in his body. And so as he's waking up, he asked his wife, what happened to me? He said, oh, you had a heart attack and you died. He said, I know I died. I was in heaven. She said, I, we prayed that you would come back. He said, why? <laughs> Hello. I sat next to a lady in Bible school. And uh, she was a very stately. Uh, she, in fact, she became a missionary to Madagascar. And she sat next to me, and she was the wife of a former pastor who had passed away. So he was driving down the road. He, he was driving, and all of a sudden, he started clutching his chest. And uh, he, he pulled the, the car over, and, uh, and he goes, he passes out. And so she's praying and calling down the name of Jesus and everything. And uh, he's gone for a little bit. And then after a while of praying, he comes back. And he's, he looks at his wife and he says, Olivia, I really love you, but I'm going back. <laughs> and she grabbed him and said, you get back here. Of course, he didn't come back. But listen, what's on the other side is far greater than what you're going through right now. Amen. Can we give God praise? Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Glory to God. Glory to God. He said, I'm going to get them. I'm going to go get them. I'm going to bring every one of them. I'm going to bring them up here. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Amen. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Hallelujah. If you're not on fire with that, your wood is wet. 
Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, we're going to have people that will pray with you if you have a need in any of those areas. Born again, you need to be. Listen, you need to be born again to be raptured. So get born again. You need to rededicate your life. You need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We're here. I'm going to dismiss you in the name of the Lord and be encouraged.